by way of segue, there is a there is actually a researcher at Birmingham doing a phenomenology of the altar call, which I That's I awesome. think is fascinating. And so Wolfgang Vondi is. Um, I'm not sure if that might be Daniela Augustine, but somebody's yeah. somebody's overseeing that project, and that that's pretty cool because it, that's, that's kind cool. of it's taking what you're doing and then also going, hey, you know, Pentecostalism and that tradition is an embodied reality, and we know mm -hmm. that firsthand. I mean, I grew up in it, you grew up in it, so we'll pivot. Let's pivot there real quick. So yeah. And, and this is kind of the focus of the podcast, and it's also as a philosopher, you've kind of taken a different route than a lot of, maybe a lot of the tradition has right like pentecostalism mm -hmm. is and was and and maybe forever will be about saving souls and revivals mm -hmm. and 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 numatology and in specific ways and tongues mm -hmm. and manifestations mm -hmm. all that stuff how did you end up on that track and like describe yeah. i mean what were your initial impressions like were you turned off by it were the things you you really appreciated about it looking back like let's go there i want to i want to hear yeah. about your experience <laughs> no it's good questions my my uh, the way you frame that is interesting because it sounds agential, right? It sounds like there was this decision to be here. That's false. <laughs> in my case, uh, I'm you didn't just sit in a room like Descartes and figure no, out that you're going to be a philosopher. Okay. It, 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 yeah, it, it was my Pentecostalism. I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal. My mm -hmm. grandpa was a pastor in the church of God. Um, both of my parents were professors at Lee University, mm -hmm. Church of God Institution. I, I was, as they say, you know, teethed on the Redback hymnal. I learned to play drums. I was a professional studio session player for a long time. I learned to play drums playing in altar calls that would go mm -hmm. forever at mm -hmm. youth camps, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> my single most important social interaction that formed my identity as a kid and teenager was children's church and youth group. Um, youth choir trips were mm -hmm. again, like that was the woo summer plans were yeah. going on trips. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it was never a, a thing that I thought about or reflected on. It was who I was. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, it was the lens by which I made sense of the world. Mm -hmm. I did not reflect on Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism is what let the world be available to me. Hmm. Now, is that good or bad? <clears throat> I don't know, uh, but it's what it is. And I yeah. think for a lot of people, our relationships to Christian traditions, especially in denominational contexts in America, they are the hermeneutic lens. Mm -hmm. They're not a hermeneutic option <laughs> that, that we reflectively right. decide upon, sure. right? But then, you know, I, I went to Lee University, uh, again, Church of God School, <clears throat> went there to be a physicist and played drums, uh, toured all over the world playing drums with ministry groups. And, and then something started to happen that I was very blessed by. So I never was um, acquainted with or experienced the anti-intellectualism of Pentecostalism hmm. that somebody like Mark Knoll diagnoses sure. very yes. well, yeah. that was not part of my experience. Hmm. And the reason for this is I was blessed to be a Pentecostal who had professor parents, yeah. yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, my grandfather, pastor, pastor grandfather, he was not, um, you know, the kind of, because I say so, and the Bible is clear. He was the 
calling the even when he was retired and fully blind, he was calling the pastor on Sunday afternoon to challenge yes. his interpretation yeah. of the Greek. Like right. I grew up sitting, you know, in the living room listening to the adults talk you know, again, not theology in professional ways, but in these kind of lay spaces, but people who were smart and reflective hmm. and mm -hmm. philosophically inclined, but in that everyday sense, yeah, that was always my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to college, uh, what started surprising me was the fact that so few of my fellow Lee University attending peers yeah. had that kind of background. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was now again, many, some did, uh, but more often what I would find, and you know, those tended to like go into theology and they had mm -hmm. amazing faculty in theology at mm -hmm. Lee and were getting challenged by Terry Cross and Dale Coulter and Emerson Powery and others who were there. That was a thriving space. But the problem was more often than not, what I was experiencing were people who Boy, they were they were sure of where they stood and why they stood and yeah. why anywhere else to stand was on yeah. its way to hell. And then when you were me and you asked questions and you again, not because you were wishy-washy, but because yeah. you were like, but that sounds but wait a minute, but yeah, couldn't yeah, you yeah, also yeah. it yep. was dude? I, I once had somebody tell me I had the spirit of witchcraft because I was quote too critical. And this was at like 19 hmm. yeah, while yeah, talking yeah, yeah, yeah. with people on the back of a choir bus, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. reflecting on things about, yeah. wait a minute, when Abraham goes up the mountain in Genesis 22 mm -hmm. and he tells the servant, we will return to you. Yeah. Should we put emphasis on the we as his knowledge yeah. that Isaac would come back? Or was this just him kind of saying, hey, we'll be right back as a yes. way of just keeping the servant like, hey, you stay here. We'll be back. Absolutely. Yeah. Should we wait? That that was the conversation. And I was like, y'all, it's not clear. Like, th yes. this is a legit question. Yep. And what do we mean by Abraham's knowing here? I wasn't a philosopher. I was just a 19-year-old who had grown up around smart people who yeah. loved God and asked questions. Yep. And it was like, you are too critical. You, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. We rebuke. And I was like, huh. <laughs> well, okay. Hmm. Right. <clears throat> or, or the time that uh, a buddy of mine and I, this is probably a bad thing to admit, may have paintballed some of the people in our choir's vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, and the next day we got to choir thinking, you know, this would be sort of fun. Again, we're freaking college kids, yeah, right? Doing yeah, stupid yeah. stuff. And it washed off. Again, there was no vandalism in bad senses. Yeah. <clears throat> but there was somebody I remember who stood up in the choir and said, uh, the choir is being attacked by mm. Satan. And this is a spiritual attack. Mm. And our cars were targeted. And my buddy and I are in the choir going, wait a minute, shoot, are we devils? That, right? yeah. So when you yeah. start experiencing that, and then to make it serious, when I've got a brother who has juvenile diabetes, type one, and he's told by people in yeah. the college, the reason you're not yeah. healed is because you don't have enough faith. Mm -hmm. And then when you see sexual assault and abuse be covered up, and again, I'm not accusing administration of Lee, I'm saying the church more broad, right? Mm -hmm. When you see this stuff in mm -hmm. sort of national ways, yeah. eventually you start saying, wait a minute my Christianity doesn't feel like it's at stake. Yeah, <laughs> but, sure. But, but, but the way that this is assumed feels shaky. Hmm. 
And for me, that's where philosophy started opening up, right? Because philosophy was giving me the tools yeah. to wrestle with, I'm not leaving Christianity, but, yeah. but man, living into the Christianity I've been taught by my smart parents and reflective mm -hmm. grandpa and grandma and evangelist uncles and on like living into that means maybe I need to be oppositional to some of what I'm seeing in the community that is taking it for granted. Hmm. So that's where my becoming a philosopher was in my case, never at odds with my being a Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. It was an outgrowth of it. The problem was when I went to my theologian professor uh, who taught intro to philosophy at college, and I said, mm -hmm. Hey, this is it. Like th this is, mm -hmm. it's allowing me to feel vibrantly yeah. invested again. And he, why don't we have a major in philosophy? Yeah. He said, Oh, yeah. well, because we don't want to make atheists. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And it get the wheeze. He was like the, the, right. the, the board of directors, right? The trustees don't want to make sure. atheists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, ah, oh, so we're not really invested in learning and mm -hmm. thinking and reflection. We're invested in protecting the power structure yeah. of this particular notion of God that reinforces our obliviousness to the suffering, trauma, and mm -hmm. abuse of others. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. Hmm. But notice my rejection of that wasn't a rejection right. of Christianity. Yeah. It was in the name of the Christ who I had been taught. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right? So that's kind of how they sort of blended. The question would be, if I could flip the question you asked me, why did I stay Pentecostal? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, so why didn't I go become an Anglican or an Episcopal or sure. you know, Presbyterian USA? Because I started sliding more liberal in my commitments to the marginalized and neighbor love and mm -hmm, climate mm -hmm. change and immigrants mm -hmm. and poverty. It was like, wow, being a Christian is pulling me there. Away from the culture war nonsense I was seeing on the right, which again was just reinforcing a notion of identity that I thought was at odds with the widow, the orphan, and the stranger were called to love in Amos and Micah. And interestingly, the reason I stay Pentecostal is not because, <laughs> uh, you know, speaking in tongues is whatever, or it, 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 it I stay Pentecostal because the phenomenological reality of an inspirited world where God is relationally invested in our embodiment. I have seen no Christian tradition as, um, as, as lived, hmm. take that up. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not a slide. Another tradition. This is not a compare. It's just in my experience, what hmm. I was raised in, what I sure. was familiar with it, it, it just resonated there. It was like, wow, this is why William Seymour and Amy Simple McPherson and for all of their flaws. And, but this is why black dudes and women were like the leaders of this stuff, because it was about an embodied relation to a God who is relationally embodied. Man, yeah, I, I'm in here. And so yep. it was a theological commitment that I reaffirm daily. But as a result of the postmodern deconstructive philosophy that I do as a professional, yeah, anchored and motivated by the experienced growing up in the churches that I didn't choose. Mm -hmm. So sure. my choices now are based on the philosophical commitments that grew out of the lived reality that wasn't chosen. Sure. 
So well, I don't know if that's, that's a good enough yeah, answer. That's a, but that's, that's, that's a great answer. How I would and, and, and the other thing is there is something to be said about remaining in any tradition, even if you have qualms, even if you have questions. I think that, hey, there's a there's a tendency in our culture to just be like, and I'm I'm out with everything, I'm out. and I you know, yeah. and 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 that sort of inductive, world shattering thing, and and we don't have, we don't have time to get into deconstruction, all kinds of other things, yeah. but there is something to be said about just trying to make the spaces that you're in better, and and, and ask right. questions and stay there, that's and, right. and I think that's okay. That's kind of where I'm at in, in the sense that yeah, we've had different life journeys, but mm -hmm. um. You know, the, the Pentecostal tradition has so much potential to uh, emancipate individuals at many yep. levels, whether they be social, whether they be um, within religious spaces. There, there is a sort of empowerment, not just not just via the Holy Spirit, but what what that tradition can and should mean in terms of things like music, preaching, expression, self-expression, psychology. Yep. Um, yep. There's a lot of depth to it that I don't think is appreciated by, let's just say, I'll just name one tradition that doesn't appreciate mm -hmm. it. A lot of Reformed Baptists just don't like yeah. it. They don't no, like Pentecostals. Right. And I get it. And it's kind of right. funny because, hey, I've learned I've learned from other Christian friends. I've I've been able to kind of embody and 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 listen to those voices. But I will just say at the end of the day, I just I came to the point where I'm going, am I something else? Am I yeah. am I just this or just this Christian or just whatever? Yeah. And I think you're right. Phenomenologically and in terms of history, you just go, this is a part of who I am. It just it, yeah. it just is. These assumptions, there's nothing wrong about that. There's nothing bad about that. If that if this experience, if Pentecostalism can be changed for the better, if it can mm -hmm. ask bigger deeper questions um this is a pretty cool place to be from too it yeah. has its own it's got a, it's got a lot of weird quirks it's got, it's got its got own a lot issues of theological errors and issues yep. and i haven't really gone into those but um any anything is that you can just say as an insider in terms of being a philosopher what are the dangers i mean yeah. we haven't i haven't gotten into that in the podcast we'll get there later but you know just yeah. help me out with what the dangers are um from this tradition oh it's well no, no lived human praxis is not going to be tempted uh, to become human all too human. And I should say one of the things that, you know, continue to attract, continues to attract me to Pentecostal is the fact that like, again, I'm a drummer, like the music's just better. <laughs> but by better yeah, I can, I can hear right. one of my friends who's a church organist in a high church. He's like, it's trash, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, a bit because he was raised in a space where sure. what church meant and what excellence looked like yeah. was Handel's Messiah with right. a 200 voice choir. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. That sounds a <laughs> lot like school to me. You know, I mean, if, if, yeah. you, if you can't dance, like, mm. yeah. so it's like, I, I don't want to go to church to listen to NPR. That's not right. my background. Right. Right. So um, that embodied affect, which I find resonating with me that I think opens on to all this promise about a concern for embodiment and attention to body, liberationist the, uh, mm -hmm. theology and womanist theology resonates deep in my sort of my bones almost, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because it too is about this kind of, what does it mean to live this, mm -hmm. um, so I think in many ways, the good is also what opens up the temptation to excessive mm -hmm. trouble. And it looks like this to me. You start thinking, <laughs> um, but that's not what Christian music should sound like. 
because this is what my church does. And of course, mm-hmm. this is what maybe the Reformed Baptists think about the Pentecostals. It's also what the Pentecostals are thinking about everybody yes. whose churches right. are born. I have no problem saying it just bores me. Right. But that's not a theological claim. Right. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm bored by pop music. I think it sucks. Right. I got students that think I'm an absolute idiot because I think Taylor Swift's overrated. Right. You know, and, and, the fact that I prefer Ryan Adams cover of, yeah. you know, her track, like they, right, right, they right. think, oh, how horrible, of course, because you're just a white dude. And I was like, well, maybe I'm aware that maybe, but I think it's also just because, man, mm-hmm. like the way he does the, it, it, it has a different kind of feel. Yeah. doesn't mean it's better. Just like I'm there. Mm-hmm. Right. I like extreme heavy metal. My wife thinks it's just the devil yelling at her and wanting her to have a headache. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, it's so good, right? I'm all into Ukrainian black yeah, yeah, metal yeah, yeah. right now because I'm like solidarity. No, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I can listen to 1914 and Ginger all day long. Yeah, right? and I'm posting this, and my dad emails me today. He's like, Aaron, you need to be careful. Like, you know, some of this stuff just doesn't reflect well as a professional scholar. And I'm like, yeah, that seems right. I get that <laughs> because his model right. of professionalization is not heavy metal and throwing horns in the right, air. Right, right. So the the dangers of Pentecostalism are not unique to Pentecostalism, I don't mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. They are just exacerbated because one of the yeah. goods of Pentecostalism is a focus on affective embodied style. Yeah. Right. And I say this in one of my articles on Pentecostal philosophy that we should care about not being boring as philosophers as part of what it means to do Pentecostal philosophy. Hmm. Right. If you can't, I mean, think about it. When I think church music, I don't think hill songs, right? Which is not Pentecostal. That's evangelicalism, which I think is horrid and makes God angry. But the it's, it's a joke, uh, <laughs> David. Come on, I now. know. I well, no, hey, I'm just I hate hill songs. But the idea is, it's not that. That's what I'm saying. Like for me, it's running bass lines, like you know, walking bass lines and B three organs, yeah, 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 and yeah. backbeat double stroke, like. You know, for me, the no, 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 no. And then you start seeing the whole place start. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me, wow, yes, that's not something I think is closer to God. Right. And that's the temptation is to have the pastor who is vibrant and enthusiastic and charismatic. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yes, that is not closer to God. That's good. And so the I was once interviewed. Um at a church, I was going to play drums at this church and it was a big kind of non-denominational evangelical sort of thing. And they interviewed me, but they were Pentecostal, but it was kind of really Pentecostal understood as this kind of, you know, like Baptists who got the spirit quote unquote. And so they then became like this charismatic evangelical sort of space, but no broader affiliation with a Pentecostal tradition that anchored them in theological history. Sure. Yeah. And they asked me, they said, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, we, we, we see that you definitely are somebody who lives in the life of the mind. We don't see the life of the spirit in you. Hmm. And I said, well, what would that look like? And they said, well, I mean, you, you are reflective and intentional and smart, but we just don't see the kind of quick fire of the spirit. And I said, well, hmm. your obsession with like God's being quick and speak probably is just capitalism. Hmm. It probably isn't Christianity and the idea that you think the spirit is manifest with gold dust and jumping and shaking and yeah, that's probably just idolatry because I see the spirit more 
in the little 17 person Presbyterian church who Mm. makes sure that no one is going without food in their mile of the world. Wow. That's the spirit for me. Right. So that's not an either, or I'd rather be addressing poverty while also having cool music. Yeah. 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 But the biggest worry I have about Pentecostalism as a contemporary manifestation of denominational practice is it is not much more anymore, not much more than just white American evangelicalism with Mm. a little bit more verve to their music and embodied expression. Mm. But having a coffee shop and uh, a really amazing light show Mm. does not make you somehow understand the radical logic of kenosis that challenges our economic model of human dignity that is right now becoming... American yeah. Christian nationalism yeah. rather than what we are opposing in the name of Christianity that would eschew any conception of nationalistic fervor. So that it, it's the thing that is rocking about it, man, that is the thing that I think is undermining sure. its good. Yeah, it, it's good. where we say, uh, wait a minute, we want to celebrate Azusa Street, mm-hmm. but we don't want to stand with Black Lives Matter for racial justice. Aren't we past that now? Because we don't want it to be difficult to be embodied in social mm. spaces. We want it to be just rocking. Yeah. Right. We we're cool celebrating Foursquare yep. Gospel and Amy Simple Free, but what we're not cool with is letting women take the pulpit and the men shut up. Hmm. Right. Yep. We're still preaching, you know, nonsense complementarian garbage while we're also trying to celebrate true equality and there is neither right. Greek nor Jew. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, th- yeah. And that's the stuff that I find just trash theology hmm. mixed with American individualism and spit out as authoritarian conceptions of a God that's who good. is the whole time in Pentecostalism saying, y'all, it's because you are relationally embodied that I yeah. am relationally engaged. Yeah. That's good. And so that's where I think uh, Pentecostalism is not for everybody yeah. because it is likely to be very off-putting yeah. to people no, who are concerned about the bodies of the marginal others, not just the bodies of the people dancing in the pews. Right. And that I think is a real good, missed man. opportunity that that's we've really got to, we've got to fix. Well, and, and the other thing I will say to that point is that all of the pictures of the past don't show all the work that went into some of this as well. So, right. We just think of these like larger than life figures and these cool events yeah. and Azusa street was just this rock show, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't see that Tuesday morning at 8 AM, the dude woke up and, and started, you know, maybe started baking bread for the, right. for feeding people that night. Angelus temple used to feed like a hundred thousand people. Yep. I mean, it's, it, it there's yep. a lot of social gospel in this movement. Yep. Um, one of the projects that I'm, I'm really you know, I, I think is important is just tying this movement to not just larger revivalist movements, which it is. It is a revivalist mm-hmm. movement that did come out of, it came out of, you know, some of the stuff that happened in, in Scotland, certainly mm-hmm. uh, with the Welsh revival. And yeah, it, you know, other things in Cane Ridge in Kentucky and all these, I mean, it is a sort of, you know, grandchild of those movements, but as well, it definitely came out of 18, you know, 19th century social gospel concerns. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and it would be way less potent and le- way less cool. I probably wouldn't be in on it if it wasn't yep. for that kind of, wow, this is something that takes a bunch of, um, 
it's a it's a folk religion right like these are yeah. just people they don't have yeah. pretense they don't have titles they don't care they just have nothing and they just yeah. get together and can celebrate the goodness of god in the midst of that and come up with some good music and come up with yeah. some you know and be roused to to do good to you know mm -hmm. it, it's very wesleyan in a lot of ways because it's oh, like yeah. hey do good feel that spark of the spirit like have mm -hmm. your heart strangely warmed um that is that one of the awesome democratized again i keep saying the word canonic because i think we don't talk about it enough mm -hmm. but that democratized canonic come all that yeah. pentecostalism was at its root <laughs> has somehow now become right-wing populism yeah which is anti-elitist right so somehow that crossing which again mm -hmm. I, I i wrote a book that I never published trying to like, track all of this and yeah. how it yeah. unfolded so it's not that i'm just doing things somehow like uh, who knows right. i actually have a view on this sure but the idea is somehow we let that happen <laughs> right yeah and the we here man there's some good voices starting to say nah we, yeah. we need you know the the lewis olina the you know bill oliverios the mm -hmm. amos young's Yep. you know the the daniela augustine's like there's a lot of people william barber he's a pentecostal so part of what we're also talking about is primarily white pentecostalism yeah like the black pentecostal churches also church yep. of god in christ my wife and i attended a, a kogic church for several years sure that's a different it space is. it is yeah where the the embodied concern for the marginalized is mm -hmm. activated as why we yep. get together Definitely. Right. It, the, the idea that the church is the space where black bodies were empowered and allowed to mm -hmm. hold titles and names that were yeah. not anchored in mm -hmm. the slavery model mm -hmm. is part of what runs through those churches in ways that is not true right. in the white evangelical churches yeah. that often were becoming who they were as a rejection yes. of that influx of mm -hmm. other bodies and other mm -hmm. identities. Mm -hmm. So it's important, again, when we talk about this to be careful to say you know pentecostalism well notice we're also talking primarily american mm -hmm. right we're, we're mm -hmm. not talking about the yeah. global south where pentecostalism is booming it's booming. and it has yeah. a different flavor and it affects yep. you know pope francis yep. has a very pentecostal latin american liberationist vibe mm -hmm. in what mm -hmm. he's up to mm -hmm. so when the first thing he does is washes the feet of a muslim woman after becoming pope that like Foot washing's a Pentecostal move, man. Like that's how my mom used to punish us and we'd be mad at my <laughs> brothers. I still hate feet as a result, dude. So but the idea of saying, wow, when we're being critical, when we're being, you know, we've also got to recognize that there's a invisible privilege that can happen when we say Pentecostal. We just mean, you know, what goes on at our predominantly white Pentecostal churches in America. Mm -hmm. And I am guilty of that because that's my experience. That's where I grew up. Those are primarily the churches that I attended. And so then when you start saying, huh, when I dig into the history mm -hmm. of Pentecostalism, it, it isn't that. Mm -hmm. It is complicated and mm -hmm. dynamic and mm -hmm. plural and global. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's the poor in West Virginia and yep. Tennessee. Yep that are really giving rise to something that's going to change the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not the wealthy dudes hanging right. out, you know, uh, at some big rock star sure. church and they were oppressed and their churches were burned. Like mm -hmm. there's an interesting solidarity that emerges in the first yeah. couple decades of the 20th century between the experience of early Pentecostals in the mountains 
and what you know non-whites were having to endure at the hands of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so no wonder there started being some interesting yep. intersection and overlap. Yep. But let's not forget that William Seymour, as a black man, had to sit in the hallway in mm-hmm. seminary because he wasn't allowed in the room where the mm-hmm. white Pentecostal, quote unquote, was delivering yeah. his talk. So yeah. if we don't own that exclusion, and this is where I would say, if we aren't engaged in a critical race theoretical conception, we are abdicating the social responsibility for owning the history that has made us who we are. Yeah. And sadly, too many white mm-hmm. Pentecostal evangelicalized Americans are running around trying to erase the history that would give rise to a critical mm-hmm. resourced tradition that yeah. allows us now to say we were not, as Kimberly Crenshaw talks about, we we were not a country that was born perfect and only yeah. got better. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is not a tradition <laughs> right. that was yes. birthed yeah. perfect and got yeah. better. It's yeah. a tradition that was birthed in trauma mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because yes. we like everyone are human yep. and we are guilty of that kind of social disillusionment that creates often the erasure of the other mm-hmm. rather than the invitation to them that's good that is good so one compliment and one final question so uh one one thing that i just appreciate about you is you just have an extreme uh i think that you have an extremely generous spirit and I will just say oh, that, and part that. Of, part of why I say that, well, a couple of reasons. One, you met with me um, in kind of a crisis moment, thinking about some PhD work, and and you were just, you just, you're you're quick to not just not just encourage people, but I think just be generous with your time, be generous with your resources. Um, and I've seen that as secondhand. Uh, so you've been extremely kind and generous to someone like Amber Bowen, who is mm-hmm. up at Redeemer. Is that right? Redeemer yeah. in Ontario. Yeah. She's, she's a phenomenal scholar. So good. And, oh. and the sky's the limit. I mean, she, she's she's good at Kierkegaard. She's yep. really, I mean, she cares about the church. She's in this thing. She's invested. I mean, I just saw the other day, you're like everywhere, man. You're Yoon Shin is doing a PhD at Aberdeen with, yeah, with just Phil, finished it. Phil just Ziegler. Finished it yeah, just yeah. finished his, his dissertation in, mm-hmm. in defense. And mm-hmm. it's like, man, you're, you're just like blowing life into people that want to ask these kind of questions. And so I just no, thank I you for that, that, man. I think your I students it. would say the same thing. So I'm not, I'm not coming oh, up with my. this. Thank you for being generous with your time and, and just your, your, your life's work. What do you have oh, coming yeah. up? What do you hope to tackle in the next two decades, man? Where, oh, wow. where are you headed? We got this trout fishing book coming. <laughs> what else? How can we link up with your work? What do you yeah, hope to man. tackle in terms of big questions? Well, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I tell my son every morning when he goes to school, uh, which thank God he can do again. You know, there was a, a year and a half where when I say every time I take him to school, it was like, you know, when I take him to the other room a little bit down the hallway, thankfully now he's back at school. And every morning we, we say to each other, I say, you know, who loves you? He's like, you know, mom and you. And I was like, and what is it that we do not care about? And he says that I am rich. And I was like, and what do we care about? And he says that I am kind. Hmm. And it's important to understand that kindness doesn't mean facile uh, ego stroking, right? Mm. Uh, I I am told probably in ways I should pay attention to, you know, (laughs) that, um, you know, I am too intense and whatever. And it's like, man, (laughs) I hope that that's not uh, overcoming kindness. I hope that what that looks like is what it means to be generous and engaged 
is also still to be reflective and mm-hmm. critically interested, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Those, those questions I asked on the back of the bus while touring with that choir in college, mm-hmm. that wasn't an attempt to say, I am smarter than these people. It was an right. attempt to say, y'all, like we aren't God. And so we mm-hmm. should be really aware and, and do the diligence of thinking well, right? And so it means a lot to me that, um, <laughs> that you would give me those kind words. So um, <clears throat> let me say one thing about Yun Shen. Uh, he just finished his PhD, published a great book I highly recommend on uh, Pentecostalism and Reformed Epistemology just came mm-hmm. out. Um, I wrote the preface for it, which uh, I was honored to write. And so, yeah, if anybody is looking for a really exciting young scholar explicitly in the Pentecostal space, um, I would highly recommend Yun Shin. I'd also recommend a guy who's a little bit behind him as far as, you know, finishing. Um, But Spencer Moffat is a name that very few people know about, but he's up and coming. He's going to be doing some really cool stuff in the next, you know, five, 10 years, I think. Uh, Amber's work is amazing from a more reformed uh, space, non-Pentecostal. Um, and she and I, of course, write together now and think together a lot. And- Wait, you get along with reformed folks? I mean, I, oh. you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> We didn't even get into open theism, man. Like we didn't get uh, into determinism, but no, I'm kidding. My, my, op- my open theist soul definitely <laughs> balks at some of her commitments. Um, and when we write stuff together, it's so funny because we'll write and I'll write a section or whatever, and she'll come back and it's got, you know, corrections in it, sure. revisions in it. And I'm like, Amber, what, you know, what about, she's like, dude, you're trying to get me fired at a redeemer. Like, I, I can't say this, you know? So yeah, she and I, um, navigate what it looks like to say stuff that I can say yes to, and yes. she can say yes, yes. to, which I yes, think yes. is a pretty That's cool good. experience. That's good. So what am I up to? My my immediate, I'm on sabbatical right now, which uh, my wife thinks is just Latin for paint the house. But <laughs> <laughs> once I get the house painted, um, what I'm working on now is uh, three things. <laughs> and I hope that they will all be done in the next year or so. Uh, and then I'll give you kind of my, where I think my thinking is going for the next decade. Who knows? I think the three books I'm working on, and they're at various stages of completion. One is a technical academic uh, book on um, postmodern deconstructive philosophy of religion. That is a collection of essays that I've written in various places over the last 15, 20 years. Um, I, I've never put together a collection of essays, you know, of like going through the stuff I've written and published mm-hmm. and pulled mm-hmm. together. <laughs> but when I sat down to write, like, well, what's the next book I need to write in this academic space? I was like, well, it turns out I've written it. Hmm. it. It just showed up as like an essay on Kierkegaard and preaching that got published ironically hmm. in Ukrainian. Hmm. No one has read that essay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, except some Ukrainians, which I am, I'm thrilled and honored that they, they yeah. thought it was worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, essays that I've published, um, you know, that, that got translated into other languages and, you know, I wrote for this special issue or that special thing and pulling those together, it turns out, you know, I've got a kind of, I think coherent vision of what postmodern philosophy of religion might involve. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is broadly termed what I call postmodern cataphaticism, um, where what it means to be um, religious in a postmodern space does not mean that we are vacuous or hmm. negatively, mm-hmm. you know, I know not what kind of stuff. Right. We are haunted by the necessity of humility and divine excess. 
but we are also determinately located in embodied histories and cultural mm -hmm. practices that mm -hmm. inform the way we make sense of God, ourselves, and others. And pulling these essays together. So there's a big section on Kierkegaard. So I've got stuff on Kierkegaard and Pentecostal philosophy in the book. Cool. Um, <clears throat> essays on Kierkegaard and uh, Simone Weil and Dietrich Bonhoeffer on what it looks like to stand against Christian nationalism in an yeah. age of Trump. So, you know, some sort of focused, you know, careful things, but then there's also stuff about like meta theory and what does it even mean to do postmodern philosophy? And why is this an epistemic issue and not really a metaphysical one? Um, and then some phenomenology stuff about like, how then would this speak to different audiences? And so I'm writing an essay right now that will hopefully be part of this book as well as another one um, on, you know, phenomenological hermeneutics for pastors. Hmm. <laughs> like, hmm. how would they access yeah. it? So that book I'm excited about, um, but I admit uh, it's taking more energy to finish up. It's all written, but I've got to write an introduction sure. and sure. edit it and stuff. Yeah, It's taking more energy than I wish it were just because, to be honest, I'm kind of losing my fire to speak to a bunch of professionals about yep. stuff that we do as professionals. Sure. And that's then the second book, which is the Kierkegaard book on, you know, camping and, and middle yeah. age and finding meaning in the face of loss and dealing with aging parents and, hmm. you know, kids that yeah. don't want to hang out with you. Right. Like, like yeah. you know, it's, it's, I give you just a little taste of like what I was writing yesterday about this. Um, I, I got into mountain biking and so I bought a new bike, which I'm very excited about. Uh, full suspension comma yeah, process 134 yeah. for anybody who's uh, uh, geeking out with me. And I wanted to wrap the whole thing in race wrap, right? So basically you're wrapping it in vinyl so that then when you run into rocks or whatever, it doesn't tear up the paint. <laughs> so I was wrapping it. And I was trying to get this piece of vinyl off the backing paper to put on the bottom of the bike. And I mean, I spent 45 minutes, David, and could not get it to come off. I, hmm. I was so angry, kept hmm. cutting it, thinking if I do that. Yeah. And I think I was like yelled at my wife, Vanessa, can, can you help me? Don't you hear me struggling? Right. You're like, come on. So she comes in. He's like, what? And I was like, look, I cannot get this. Can you please help me? Like I'm getting angry. Mm -hmm. She takes it. And I mean, two <laughs> seconds later, she says to me, Aaron, <laughs> this is just backing paper. You've already used this piece. Wow. Right. That's so, humbling. That's good. That's so, good. Uh, like this book is me using those sorts of yeah. experiences to then reflect on well, what does it look like to live in light of epistemic humility? What does it look like to think about um, our directional faithfulness hmm. only being persistently virtuous if it's a good direction? Hmm. My persistence in yeah. peeling that backing paper. But I was misguided in my direction because it turns out I was uh, I was dead ending, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I was not going to give up. Well, it yeah. turns out I'm just a fool. Right. Yep. So that book is this kind of thing. And then That's trying cool. to have some Kierkegaard sort of flavor throughout and some Aristotle and a little bit of existentialism and, you know. So that book's a lot of fun. And that's the one that I, I stay up at night writing mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I feel like it's flowing. Yeah, right now. good. The other ones work. Right. Sure. Um, and then I'm doing a book with a buddy of mine. And this one's taken a little too long to get out. But I, but I say this because it's kind of announcing some directions for me. Um, it's a book tentatively it's, it, with a friend who's a personal finance professor. And it's tentatively yeah, titled. talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personal finance for Marxists, philosophers, and everyone else who spends too much time at coffee shops. That's the book. And what we're doing is 
you know, some philosophy, but it's really just a book on personal finance and hmm. some general ideas on how do we care about, hmm. you know, if what we're going to do with our finitude is the question. Right. But we also need to make sure that what we're doing is not having to work 90 hours a week in right. our 40s to be able, right. like, may, maybe we've messed up. Hmm. In the way we understand finitude, hmm. why is it that we live all of our lives so that we can retire well, totally. and then we retire, but we blow out our knee or break our right. hip and we can't enjoy what, like, yeah. maybe we can rethink this. Why is cool. insurance something we've got to think about as reflective mm-hmm. adults? Why is it that caring for the other means that you're talking about wills, right? Like right. M- maybe some of that is something we should do in reflective Good. ways, but it's then anchored in Kant's questions what can I know? What should I do? And for what should I hope? Yeah. And so the book has got this philosophical flavor. It's not about getting rich. It's about challenging that wealth determines happiness. That's cool. Right. So thinking about that in practical ways, um, doing that. Are you guys using, <clears throat> so I got to ask one quick, are you guys using Philip Goodchild's, isn't he over it? Isn't the, he? The, at, yeah. He's yeah, at Theology Nottingham. of money. Yeah. yeah he's, at I mean, he's got some guys. really cool stuff. I mean, it's kind really of, cool it's kind of like Jamie's stuff in cultural yeah, you know, it's kind of cool. And like, I don't know if you're using this stuff, but he's, he's got yeah. some pretty cool takes on it. So. His, I, I got to read his theology of money when it was still a, a manuscript draft. Wow. Um, and he's, he's doing some really cool stuff. Yeah. It, it's those sorts of things. Of course, he's writing at a more academic level. Yeah. This is a, like, um, what we're trying to do, to be honest with you, is it all emerged from uh, my buddy coming to me and saying, Hey, <laughs> It seems to me that you kind of take this stuff seriously and you kind of geek out about right. investing and whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not because I care about being wealthy or mm-hmm. rich, but because yes. I want to be able yeah. to like enjoy fishing, which means I've got to have days to do it, sure. which means I've got to think about, well, how do I live in my 40s now, not just living in my 40s in order to maybe fish in my 60s, right? right? Like right. It's, it's this life thing. And mm-hmm. this is all emerging as a result of having worked 100 hours a week for way too many years through yeah. grad school and tenure yeah. and, and not fishing and not seeing my son. Yeah. When I, when, dude, when it all started when I was probably five, six, seven years ago, walking downtown with my son at the time who would have been, I don't know, six maybe. And he said, dad, I don't want to be a philosopher. And mm. I was like, why not? Philosophers are so cool. Woo, right? We're the funnest ever. And he looked at me. He's like, nah, dad. And again, six years old or whatever he was, he says, philosophers just don't spend enough time with their kids. Mm. And when we drove by Furman once, again, about the same age, and he was driving with my mom and dad, and he says, grandma, grandma, that's where dad lives. Wow. So this is not a book coming from look at my wisdom. Right. This is a book we're trying to write with me saying, yo, I done effed up. And you know what? Thank God my son is 12 and I am 44 yep. and my wife is still healthy. And mm-hmm. like, maybe we can do it better, hmm. right? Maybe we can think differently about this stuff. Maybe we can find ways to not think sleeping at the office, which I did for years hmm. is the best way to become someone of significance. Maybe significance just looks differently, hmm. right? So that book's fun, but where my kind of thinking is going is. And, you know, I'm, I'm not delusional enough to think that people care about this, but I am deeply impacted by the fact that the pandemic revealed a lack of mm. um, <clears throat> reflective, uh, intentional engagements with living well mm. that are not able to be couched in confessional evangelical book studies or self-help uh, guru sure. influencer mm-hmm. nonsense. Mm-hmm. 
Like that's what's out there. Yeah. And so when the pandemic hit and I was stuck at home, like everybody and trying to figure out how do we deal with this world yeah. that's collapsing on us? I reached for Bonhoeffer, hmm. right? Hmm. Wrestling with his letters and papers from prison. Cause yeah. you know, man, like he's dealing with something in isolation that I'm not like yeah. he might. Yeah. And I reached for Martin Luther King talking about what liberation really means. Even when it means sacrifice, watching all of my quote unquote, Christian brothers and sisters refusing to wear masks and we're not going right. quietly into the night. And yet you've got King saying, nah, like, come on, pastors, stop hmm. being the white moderate standing against real hmm. solidarity. Hmm. I read Simone Weil talking yeah, Simone about Bay. solidarity with the poor. Right? Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, man, who's writing this stuff? Hmm. Now, there are people. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, they're, right? they're, they're I also reached yeah. to Anne Lamott. I also mm -hmm. reached to Nadia Bolt-Weber videos on YouTube. I hmm. also reached to every Sunday listening to William Barber. I also <laughs> love what you know uh, people are doing kind of in some of these public intellectual sort of spaces. But I really felt convicted hmm. that at 42, when the pandemic started, I was desperately looking to others to tell me how to live hmm. when everybody I was looking to died younger than I was. Hmm. And I was like, at some point, I've got to find my voice. Yeah. Not because I'm important, but because at some point, what yeah. adulting means mm -hmm. <laughs> is that we start not just being yeah, reflections of what everybody has told us. And mm. we start saying, you know what? In a life defined by periods, I will be remembered. I mean, in a life defined by question marks, I'll yeah. be remembered for my periods. Where am I putting those down? Hmm. And how can I model putting some periods down while the question marks remain? Hmm. And, and that's what I don't see enough of. Hmm. So my hope is over the next 10 years, the things like my YouTube channel, philosophy for where we find ourselves, mm -hmm the uh, public engagement on things like podcasts and, mm -hmm. and, you know, video interviews, like I'm hoping that that sort of space becomes more uh, training for making an audience focus that is broader. Hmm. Yeah. The goal not being to sell more books, sure. right. And again, in this sort of economic sense, but the goal being maybe I can, again, find a way to navigate my world in ways that invite others to find ways to navigate theirs. Yeah. So it's not, here's how you live. Here's your self-help. Here's your seven steps to a greater mm -hmm. you. Here's your, no, but maybe, maybe there are a lot of people who are raising kids or mm -hmm. college students wrestling with how to pick a major or what to do with their life or, you know, whether or not to get married or partner or take whatever it is. Maybe they're facing, you know, I've got a student right now facing the, the potential death of one of their parents from cancer. I've got another mm -hmm. student who just had a kidney transplant and wrestling with what it means to live as vulnerable. Like maybe that stuff. Hmm is why we did all the professional work and wow. got good enough hmm. at these technical things to then say, Hey, I'm not stepping into here as the pro telling you what to do, mm -hmm. but maybe as a pro, I can invite you to recognize that we're all a little bit more amateur than we realize. Hmm. And maybe that's, that's something that can help us, you know, be kinder <laughs> at the end of the yeah. day. Right. Yeah. And, and, We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I am not delusional enough to think that I will ever have the kind of following that someone like Trip Fuller has built for himself. 
um, which I am impressed by. He's and a buddy, man. Of. He's just a buddy. He'll he'll t- uh, he'll have you on anytime, man. You, you, <laughs> am, he's a huge fan of you. So that that he dude has you a lot. has crushed it. And I keep telling him, I'm like, man, you're trying so hard to become one of us, like to get the professor mm-hmm. position to mm-hmm. write the. I was like, people like me and a bunch of others. There's a there's a kind of like not exodus from professor. Yeah, right. We're yeah, all yeah. privileged to have our jobs. It sure. lets me fish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. But an exodus from like, what is it that we're doing mm. that matters again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's inviting adults not to be self-absorbed clowns, right? Mm-hmm. And we're also trying to speak into a space that needs really good experts who are really good at things like argumentation and hermeneutics mm-hmm. and understanding and evidence and assessing debates. We need these experts and I'm glad mm-hmm. to be one of them. But it's also the case that maybe a bunch of us need to start becoming more like trip hmm. and and not think that what real success looks like is becoming yeah. able to not to have to talk to you know sure. the the rabble yeah. maybe yeah. that's what we've got to learn how to do it's cool and it's model good. for the world what it means to say hey uh even though aristotle was right to say you can't have genuine friends who are less good than you hmm. maybe you should have a lot of friends who find themselves being smart in ways that you aren't hmm. rather than thinking what you are smart in means that your yep. voice is now the one they should default yeah. to. And that's, that, that's the authoritarian nonsense that I think uh, hmm. underwrites Putin's aggressive vice. It underwrites hmm. Trump's narcissism. It underwrites uh, white evangelical American disregard for the marginal hmm. and the poor. And sadly, it underwrites the left's dismissiveness of a bunch of people with whom they share sure. the world out of political disagreements. And somehow we've got to find ways to say, hey, you don't have to compromise where you stand to be yep. able to engage the other in critically reflective ways that still can show kindness. And maybe that will allow us to be better with money because yeah. you realize money doesn't define everything. Maybe we can now find better ways to facilitate time and, and flourishing mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know what? Uh, as a business owner, I need to pay my staff more, not because that's the only way I can keep the employees, mm-hmm. but because I don't need a second boat. Yeah. And yeah. that one needs health care. Like maybe mm-hmm. this is just a different value set. Mm-hmm. But I think that professional philosophers are a really good resource for trying to envision that that's world. That's good. Uh, and so I'm going to do my best to try to. Yeah, you know, lend my voice to that movement and see what we Very can do. Very cool. Well, hey, Harvard does not Harvard. I think has like a human flourishing yeah, center, human flourishing I program mean, up there. I'm There's not a, saying you uh, should head it or move to Northfield, <laughs> Minnesota, and and run the library. But there uh, are jobs out there for you. No, there there may be. Who knows? I mean, um, we're we're open to a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I admit that right now, uh, which is so again difficult to say, and I know some will hear it exactly the wrong way despite the trauma of the last three years, mm-hmm. I've never been happier as than I am now as an adult. And the reason is not because things are just all yep. great, right? Yep. I've got people I love who mm-hmm. are dealing with cancer. I've got, I've lost friends this year who have died from COVID. Mm-hmm. I have personal friends connected to Ukraine in ways that are familially mm-hmm. traumatic. Yeah, We're all in this. Mm-hmm. And I'm also amazingly privileged because of, you know, historical embodied realities and economics mm-hmm. that like all, all, I'm not unaware of that, mm-hmm. but yet why I'm happier is simply because you know what, like 
it seems to me that spending more time at the office would be the last thing I want to do. Hmm. And that does not mean, however, that doing philosophy is the last thing. Like, no, nah, I'm right. going to do more philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. might do it well on a trail uh, pulled over after landing a sure. jump that didn't go very well. And I'm going to be philosophizing. Maybe I can do that in a way that then's inviting other people to think about it. Yeah. Maybe my flat tire that I busted on a route while casing it might lead to a video that then speaks to a business leader who's struggling to figure out how not to, you know, be overwhelmed by failure. Yeah. And thinking those things through in reflective ways. I don't know. Yeah. It's making me happier. It's making me joyful. It's, it's getting me out of my head where what I'm doing is just defending my views. <laughs> and it's more like, nah, it's not just my views. It's, Hey, these are views that maybe we all should think through. Very and, cool. and, you know, I've got a son who gave a talk this morning at his school about why they need to have this new student of the week program. And he modeled it for my wife and I last night. And it makes me so happy to, to say, Hey, there's nothing more important that I could do than yeah. do that with him. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and maybe spending money on buying him his own drill so that he can make stupid fingerboard skateboards, which I think is the dumbest thing that's ever existed, <laughs> but he's decided that's what he yeah. wants. He's going to do that. I'm like, Hey, let me go get you a drill so that you can understand yeah. what ownership looks like, not in an economic rich, right. sense, but in the sense of making something that matters and putting mm -hmm. your effort into something that you think yeah. is going to produce something that other people might enjoy. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, that's I, cool. I, I think philosophy is bigger than we have often made it. It's cool. And Christianity is way kinder than we have displayed. Hmm. And thinking together is harder than we acknowledge. But in the end, says my former mentor, David Kangas, there is the unmanageable, but we'd be trivial without it. And I think that's a pretty good place to, cool, to find man. ourselves. Yeah, well, man. thanks so much, man. Thanks for just sharing your 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 brain and and you process stuff in a way that I think is so fun publicly just because it's like, yeah, you just the way that you go to rabbit holes and then bring stuff in, man. I mean, it's it it, it reminds me of of those awesome first experiences in philosophy at the undergraduate level, which is what you do. And so thank you for for bringing me back oh, into man. that classroom and the, like the 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 time where you're like this is really cool. I want to kind of do something like this. Uh, and it's that, such a ball. And what you're doing yeah. is like I say I see you as a a partner in this work. And uh I know you're trying to, you know, get back in and do a PhD and kind of figure that academic space out. But like I said about trip, I hope that works out. And I hope I'll do everything I can, of course, to, to have your back in that process. But it's also the case that I think more and more and more, uh, we need philosophers and theologians who are brewing beer, like, you know, probably our mutual friend, Josh Patterson, you know, who are thinking reflectively uh, while running music labels, while mm -hmm. are uh, doing engineering. I had a, one of the best philosophy conversations I've had with anybody lately was an electrician who came to fix something on the outside of my house. And he and I spent three hours just sitting in my backyard after he finished talking about philosophy and it turns out dude was a former pro skateboarder and he's got this skateboard company on the side called test yeah, yeah. skateboards. I highly recommend everybody. And you know, it's like, man, this is what life really needs to be looking like. Mm -hmm. And if all we do is think the nine to five and the business yeah. card is the goal, we're going to miss having conversations with electricians because we think they're just the labor. Yeah. Rather than, hmm, maybe that guy has something I need to learn about being human.
Yeah. And that's good. I think if we can listen, maybe we'll, good, we'll have the ears to hear. That's good. Well, thanks for joining us today, man. Hey boss. It's been a f- uh, absolute pleasure. I'm a fan of yours and uh, to all the listeners, sorry for uh, giving you such a long, <laughs> long set of debates, but no as uh, somebody once told me if I had more time, I'd make my, sh- my book shorter. So there, yeah, exactly. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>